Hey, everyone, and welcome to We Gotta Talk. If you're new to the show, this is an issues-based podcast for curious people who want to see both sides of the story. I'm Sunny, an Emmy-nominated and AP award-winning TV journalist whose true passion in life is asking questions, talking to literally anyone about really anything. Join me each week as we dig in on one topic from every angle and walk away with a new perspective that just might change your life. Now... Let's talk. Okay, we're going to kick off this episode with a quote with some words. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. Have you come across this before? Quote, it's not our job to toughen our children up to face a cruel and heartless world. It's our job to raise children who will make the world a little less cruel and heartless. End quote. That is from this week's guest, who has made a career out of calming, inspiring, and informing parents, whether or not she even intended to do that in the first place. L.R. Nost is my guest. Now, this is one of the most popular episodes in the history of this podcast. L.R. is an author, an activist, and a gentle parenting guru whose words have been shared, pinned, and quoted on just about every platform out there hundreds of thousands of times. Seriously, you cannot scroll Pinterest without seeing a handful of her quotes on parenting. She'll be the first to tell you she did not set out to change the game when it comes to gentle parenting, but as it turns out, her words have done just that. And I am so honored because this conversation actually marked the first time that LR appeared on a podcast, and it is a good one. So here's what you'll get in this episode. Incredible stories on LR's own motherhood journey, her career, and so much more. We talk about gentle parenting. What is it? What she learned from being a young mom. I love this. Her amazing term for raising kids, which she calls co-humaning. We talk tactics for tantrums, kids on social media, why she doesn't believe in timeouts, her thoughts on sleep training, her cancer battle, and where her health stands now, and so, so much more. I am so grateful to LR for allowing me to speak with her about her amazing work. I took so much from this conversation, and I know you will too. Of course, all of the relevant books that we discuss will be linked in show notes. Thanks, guys, for tuning in and enjoy this episode of We Gotta Talk. Thank you for being in studio. Oh, thank you for having me. I just introduced you. I hope you liked it. Just kidding. We're <laughs> laughing because I just told LR. I introduce people. I, I record the intro after the podcast. But um, you have already heard who this woman is, um, the accolades that she has received, the things she has done, the great, wonderful uh, words that she's put out into the world. And I'm so glad you're here today, LR, because before I even reached out to you, I inadvertently had been consuming a lot of your content on gentle parenting. And it is truly an honor to have you in studio. So thank you for coming in. Thank you. Um, I want to dive right into, I know there's a lot to talk about, and you personally have been going through some issues, medical issues lately that you are very candid about on social media. Um, and I will get to that. I want to start with gentle parenting because your words have hit me and so many other parents, I feel, in a way that um, others haven't. Will you tell us first what gentle parenting really is? Um, it, to, to, to me, you. Uh, to, to you, me, gentle yeah. parenting is literally just looking at small humans as humans. Mm-hmm. And, and that really sums it up. It's just I treat them. It's the golden rule. I treat children not only the way that I want to be treated now, but the way that I feel like I would have blossomed as a child if mm-hmm. I had been treated. Yeah, you have several children. <laughs> yes, know? I have six. You have six kids. Um, you have a whole half a dozen. And 
I'm wondering if the way you parented your own children as you continue to explore that theme changed over the years. Because absolutely, I, I, as a parent knows, our our views and our techniques evolve. So, what did you start off yeah. doing, and, and how does it look now? Uh, well, I started out as a teenager with my first couple of children. So, um, there how was, how old were you when you had your the, first? I was 18. So I, right. I started out, you know, and I had two within le- a little less than two years. So I was, you know, I was very young. Um, and I had zero, uh, I had, I, I came in with zero ideas other than the, just the one thing that I came in with was a determination not to repeat my own childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there were certain pieces and parts of my childhood that, that, you know, that were good and that I did want to repeat, but you know, my, my main focus, my main motivation was just to not repeat my own patterns. And I didn't know those words at the time. I didn't know about patterns. I didn't know about pain patterns and generational pain and, and things like that. I just instinctively knew I just didn't want to repeat, you know, my past. Um, I just, as a child, I had dealt with, um, homelessness, abandonment, sexual assault. I mean, it's just, you know, extreme poverty, um, alcoholic father who eventually abandoned me. I mean, it just, and, and it, was pervasive. It was right. like start to finish my entire, you know, um, there was the sexual abuse was pervasive throughout my childhood. I, I moved out of my house, you know, while still a minor. Um, and I got an older girl to sign a lease for me on an apartment. Um, so I, I, I just did not want my childhood to repeat itself in my own child, my that, own children. You're bringing in then to your parenting experience, a whole lot of pain. Did you find, I know that a lot of people who've experienced trauma, especially early on, tend to have moments after they have their own children where things surface or come up and inadvertently, like they say, grief resurfaces, like can crest like a wave. Um, what moments were difficult for you as, especially as a young parent, given uh, all the difficult things you dealt with as a child yourself? Uh, for me, uh, you know, being pregnant, being unmarried, you know, having that first child and then getting married to, a, you know, a young man, the father of the child, and, and we, you know, we were struggling with poverty ourselves. Um, and I, I, I knew immediately, you know, what that looked like and the impo- possibility of digging yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, uh, when I was in school, in high school, you know, I was a National Merit Scholar. You know, I had opportunities for scholarships. I had opportunities for college and things like that. So, um, and I just knew education was the way out. Mm-hmm. So I went to the college and I banged on doors and I talked to people and I was just, I showed them my credentials. I showed them my GPA. I showed them things. And I just basically begged my way, you know, in, into college. And, and then, of course, I'm dealing with, at that point, you know, child care. And so I did a lot of sneaking into the back of classrooms and standing there holding a baby so I could, you know, be present and, and get the, the work. And then I would go sit out in the hallway. They wouldn't let me stay in the classroom with the baby, but they would let me get the work. And so I did a lot of my, I cracked the door open and listened. So I did a lot of, you know, baby wearing and, and, and things like that. And it was just instinctive. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about baby wearing. I didn't have, I, I went to a Goodwill and, and they had this contraption that was like, I think an ergo at the time or something like that, you know, but it was a dollar. And I got in and I just, you know, figured it out and strapped my baby to myself and just kind of, everything was figuring out. In fact, this story, uh, my, my first child was premature. I had massive hemorrhaging and, you know, a very young teenager and, and having a baby and it was just not a good situation. He was born, he was premature, he was in the NICU. Um, when he was seven days old, um, I had gone into the NICU to see him and the nurses were all excited. You know, they're like, oh, you can hold your baby for the first time. And I was all excited and they're like, you can give him his first bottle of formula because he had been up to that point um, 
like tube fed and with mm-hmm. IVs and things. Um, anyway, and I said, well, actually, um, I want to breastfeed. And they're like, why? They, they literally said to me, why? And I said, because it's free. <laughs> I just, I mean, I didn't know anything about anything. Um, but they, it, this, this is not something that repeated itself. You know, the hospitals have changed significantly since right. then. Um, but they unplugged his isolate, pushed it over to a corner of the room, turned a chair towards the corner, plugged his isolate in, and said, good luck, and turned around and left me there. What? So here I was a teenager. Wait, what year was this? This is insane. This, this is this, so different from... This, this, I had my first child. At, uh, it, was, it was the it, very end of the 1980s. Wow. And so I... I, but the one factor I think that probably factors into my life more than anything is my extreme stubbornness. Right. And when you tell me no or when you act like I can't do something, there's nothing that will stop me from doing it. Mm-hmm. So I think that probably was the best thing that could have happened to me because mm-hmm. I remember I looked at him. I didn't even know how to get him out of the isolate. I mean, I never held him yet. Um, but I looked at him and I said, all right, it's you and me and we're going to make this work. And I moved all of his wires and tubes and I got him out and I said, please, 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 please just do it. I don't know what to do. And he did. Oh my gosh. And we just figured it out. <laughs> that I'm gosh, there's a, there's a whole lot to unpack. And, and I, frankly, I'm shocked that you were able to overcome a fraction of what you did to get to where you are now, not only in your own personal life, but having impacted so many women in the way they chose to parent. Um, but in those early moments of motherhood, which I think are just so confusing for so many people. What do you look back on now um, besides that will and that stubbornness and, and still resonates with you that you're like, Oh, that's still me to this day. The stubbornness, the, the, the willfulness, um, the way you were parenting back then, does anything match up to how you did it with your last compared to your first? I think that what matches most is, you know, I did not look at my child as, you know, an extension of myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't look at my child as, um, something that belonged to me, you know, from the get go, maybe just because I was a child myself at the time, I, from the, from the very beginning, I looked at it as just, we were, we were, we were doing life together. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we were co-humans and we were humaning together. <laughs> and so I think that's probably the thing that has carried through everything and all the decisions that I've made. And, you know, even my mistakes, you know, I, I, I was always one that would apologize to my children when I made mistakes. And, you know, and when I would do that in front of other people, especially, you know, early on before I, before I became LR Nose, mm-hmm. um, early on, you know, people would be like, you know, you shouldn't apologize to them. You know, it disrupts your authority. I'm like, I, that, that, that made no sense to me and I would not accept any of that from anyone. I, you know, I was just, I mean, I just, I did the smile and nod thing. I wouldn't argue with people. I would, but I would still just turn around and go to do, do my own thing, you know? Right. So. Knowing what you know now and having raised your own kids and have, having interacted with so many moms, do you think kids just sort of come out who they are? And, and I think like it, you're talking about them as individuals and that just kind of yeah. struck I a think chord with that me. children are not born blank slates. Mm-hmm. I think they're born with personalities. I think they're born individual. I think that they, you know, are, are they're people from the, from the get go. Um, however, they are impacted in, in life changing, life altering ways by the things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we don't say, the things that we don't do. So, you know, even as adults, we're impacted by the people around us, you know, but as children, because children have, children have this sort of unwavering belief, mm-hmm. you know, trust in adults. And so when an adult tells them, um, you know, what's wrong with you? Are you brain dead? You know, children, you know, they absorb that, mm-hmm. it, you know, and those pieces and parts become a part of that, you know, I think it's Pam Leo that said, you know, our words are the words that we say to our children become their inner voice. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that, that's, that's a profound truth. They, they do. And so while our children do grow and develop into to who they were just created to be, um, along the way, they are being impacted either in positive or negative ways by, by everything that we do and everything that we don't do. And so, you know, that you, you are not shaping them like a, a shapeless lump of clay, mm-hmm. but you are impacting, mm-hmm. you know, the, the growth of that human being. Something with gentle parenting that always felt instinctive to me is what it wasn't more than what it was. Um, having recently had my kids, I was exposed to a lot of um, how-tos, manual type books, how to get your kid to sleep, how to get your kid to listen, discipline in the, I mean, everything that you can imagine. And instinctively, I would turn away from that. What attracted me to gentle parenting, and to your words in particular, wasn't I, what I would call a lack of strategy per se, but um, an encouragement to trust the maternal instinct, which I think can be disrupted when you take in too many people's opinions. I'm curious what your opinions are on um, a lot of the literature that's out there these days. There's a lot of different ways that people intend on parenting, and people will read a lot of this before having kids with the with the express purpose of saying, okay, this is how I will make my child sleep. This is how I will raise or discipline my child. What is your opinion on the sort of plethora of advice that's out there, and how would you what would you encourage a mom to do who feels like she needs to know how she's going to do this all ahead of time? I think research is important. I think preparation is important, but I think just going into it with a realization that, you know, you're not baking a cake, yeah, you know, and, so and understanding that there's somebody else that's also going to have an opinion about how their lives should be. There's somebody else that's also going to have an opinion about what kind of food they like and what they don't like. And, you know, they're going to have their own quirks. They're going to have their own, like, like we said, personality. They're going to have their own flaws. You know, they're going to have, the, so you have to Again, it's co-humaning. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you go into it and you've done your reading and you've done your research and you have some ideas, you know, if you can think of them as, you know, a toolbox to pull from as opposed to a rigid set of do's and don'ts, then I think that that you can more readily see the small human in front of you and respond to their needs as opposed to having the script in your head that you're trying to follow. What's the one piece of advice you would give a first-time pregnant mom? Anything that... Um Anything that you can think of, it could be something that you experienced or came up with on your own or something that someone told you? Um, That's really a broad range because first-time pregnant mom can be anything (laughs) from a a young teenager like me uh, to someone that's, you know, in their 30s having their first baby. It can be someone with, you know, all the baggage from their childhood like like I had or somebody that, you know, maybe had a lot of, you know, maybe siblings and and had a lot of experience, you know, and, and so, you know, to to kind of package that down into, into, you know, one piece of advice, I think, you know, again, it would be not acknowledging the, the vast array of, mm-hmm. of human experience that's out there. You know, what I would say to pretty much any pregnant woman is, you know, you are going to have a relationship with this other human being. Put the relationship first. Mm-hmm. You know, all the pieces and parts of things that people are saying to you, the things that you're reading, all of the all the pressures of society and the different things like that. Take all of that, learn from it. You know, there's a lot of wisdom out there. That's great stuff, but focus on the relationship with the other human in your life. Do you feel like you had to parent all of your kids slightly differently? So much. Yeah, that's <laughs> so much. I wasn't. Pre- I don't know. It feels foolish to say that out loud, but I I wasn't prepared. I'm still surprised to this day how yeah. different things. Yes. Well, I mean, I guess that's yeah. a universal experience. Well, because so they are all individual humans. They are, and but you would think that they being blood related and you know from the same two people. I'm like how and and for a long time i 
not a long time, for a period of time, I guess, because I'm still a relatively new mom, I would question if that made me a bad mom because I adjusted my parenting styles. Because much like you said, I would hear critiques or commentary from people who would say, you're the mom. You tell them exactly what it is, which, okay, yes, kids like stability, but it, it never felt right to me to you know, to to speak to them in the same way. I mean, one might be more sensitive than the next. And I always wondered if that was like a flaw in me as a mom, that I was constantly adjusting my sort of methods. But it's good to hear that you do that too, because if oh, you're doing it, that makes me feel better. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, the, the way I look at it and the way I sometimes explain it to other people is uh, my husband and I have the exact same color eyes. We yeah. both have green eyes. Yeah. We have six children. One of them has green eyes. That's crazy. One of them has deep, deep, dark chocolate eyes. One of them has like warm milk chocolate eyes. One of them has eyes that change from gray to green to blue, just this hazel, this beautiful hazel eyes. And one of them has bright, bright, bright blue eyes. Oh my gosh. Because crazy. green eyes apparently carry all the different varieties. Oh, I didn't know okay. that. That I, makes I, my blue eyed daughter makes sense there's now. Some, there's some science in there. <laughs> I don't know. Something about science. But either way, so I, I can physically look and see see that all of my children inherited these differences. Mm-hmm. So how would that not also apply to them as human beings? I mean, you know, the eye color is simple. Mm-hmm. You know, the humanity, the person is complex. Mm-hmm. So to expect humans to all come out like cookie cutters, you know, that really is, you know, maybe a fallacy that, that of, of expectation that, that has been passed along to us. Mm-hmm. But I think what we should expect is for a human to be the exact human that they are mm-hmm. and to need to learn their love language and to need to learn, you know, how to approach them. Some of my children, you know, I do time ends with children. What was instead that? Of time, time ends just is, as opposed to time out when somebody's having a big emotional meltdown. Yeah. Um, instead of, you know, go get yourself together and then we'll talk. It's let's work through this together. So time in just means let's work together through the big emotions, whether it's a toddler having a tantrum or whether it's a 13-year-old on her period who just can't cope with life. You know, time in means we're, we're in this together and mm-hmm. let's do this together. So just taking the case of a toddler, um, I had these little calm me jars that I made and they just have like little sprint, little uh, glitter in them and we've been, we make them together different colors and of course glue the lid on because, you know, they're going to get tossed. Um, and like I had one child that just, she just would get so mad she just couldn't articulate what she was mad about. She's always mad at all older sibling, but she, you know, and so I would, I would say, which call me jar do you want? Do you want Hello Princess Kitty Dolly? I think it was, or, or do you want Starry Starry Night? And she usually like Starry Starry Night or <laughs> Nemo Wonders the Sea was the other one. Um, and she'd describe it and she'd jump up and down and she'd shake it, she'd shake it, she'd shake it. And after she had like, you know, kind of tired herself out a little bit, um, we'd sit there and we'd watch the glitter fall and it was literally just this calming moment. And I, and I would, I would talk to her about, okay, let's breathe in through our nose. And, and I would kind of talk her through like, and what I was actually doing was teaching her the life skills mm-hmm. of taking your anger, acknowledging your anger, but not taking it out on another human being, mm-hmm. finding a way to channel anger in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. And then I was walking through the steps of how to calm yourself and bring yourself to back to a place of peace. Mm-hmm. Once we were back to a place of peace, she could articulate, I could articulate, she was then open to whatever guidance she might need at that point, which you know, they do need guidance. Absolutely. Um, and, but, but we just, you have to guide from that. You have to guide them back first to that place of calm and peace before they're open to your guidance of, you know, behavioral guidance or whatever else. And did you start to notice that after a period of time, she was self-soothing in that way without the need for a prop or something? Yeah. Like- after a while, she would come to me already with the calm jar in her hand and it would already be in the settling process and she would already have been jumping in bed down or, you know, whatever. That is a genius idea. So yeah, that's, <laughs> we call them big feelings in my house and I, yeah. I 
you know, do you have, are you having big feelings? All right, let's talk about it. But, um, you know, I have one who is, needs, I think, a minute to just catch breath mm-hmm. before we talk. And the other one who literally wants to be like squeezed and hugged until the big feeling goes And there's past. the differences we were talking about. Because I, I have one child who, my nine-year-old, has never had a tantrum in her life. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we literally called her silent baby. She just never made any noise. <laughs> and people would forget, people would like get startled when all of a sudden she'd crawl up because she was always like in my radius. She, right. I mean, I don't think to this day the umbilical cord has been cut. I mean, That's... she's like always like only a few feet away from me. Um, but she, she was always there, but she was just sort of like, and if she didn't have a toy, she'd play with her toes. She was just this, you know, and then she kind of crawl around the corner and people would jump like, because uh, I forgot she here. was there, you know. <laughs> um, so I have, I and I have that all the way to, you know, my, my, older daughter who my oldest daughter who is extremely strong-willed and was that always the case that was always the case. always always she's extremely strong-willed and from day one if she you know if she wanted to put her finger in a light socket you know short of me removing the light socket from the wall she was going to do everything she could to get there so I had to have completely different methods of approaching that with her than this little silent baby that would just sit there and play with her toes so (laughs) aren't youngest the the best they're just so amazingly adaptable completely chill yeah they just find a way to just like they just get through life yeah our third I'm always like I mean she's like climbs into you know tall chairs it's probably not the safest to be honest but climbs into everything by herself she brushes her own teeth I mean life is great I'm sure by the time if we had six (laughs) she would be like writing a book at age five um what's the difference I think people get confused when they hear gentle parenting and attachment parenting they conflate some of it and I want you to kind of explain how those two are associated or related and also how they're different. Yeah. Uh, Attachment theory, I think it was John Bowlby that, um, Bowlby, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, that um, first proposed attachment theory. And then um, Dr. William Sears, you know, really, you know, did a lot of of work in that area. Um, Attachment theory is a psychological theory. And it's the theory that strong attachments um, are where healthy independence grows from, that, that strong attachments are, you know, the precursors to good relationships in life, whether it be with a spouse, whether it be with, you know, work partners, whether it be with just the world in general, that, that the attachments that we make as, uh, you know, small beings in our lives, um, can, you know, what we learn through that, whether to trust the world or to distrust the world, you know, carry over into our adulthood and, uh, a lot of the um, mental illness that that you see in the world, and a lot of you know, even even criminal acts and things like that, a lot of time come from detachment. You know, because when you stop feeling cared about, or if you never felt cared about in the first place, you know, you're not learning then to care about others. So mm-hmm. attachment theory is just really about it's a psychological theory. Mm-hmm. Gentle parenting is it incorporates the idea. The ideas behind attachment theory, it incorporates the ideas of creating that trust relationship. So gentle parenting is not a psychological theory as um, attachment theory is. It is just sort of an outgrowth of that, utilizing that theory um, as sort of the basis, the idea of growing trust relationships and um, and again, you know, humaning together, right, right, um, through Res- life, respecting individuality and, and, and understanding right. the person you're raising, so, so that you know you're you're in the moment with the small human, but at the same time, you're aware that this is going, to, this tiny human's going to grow into a large human one day, and is going to go on and have other relationships mm-hmm. other than with you, and you are prepping them for that in your re- interactions and relationship with them. I'm sure you have all sorts of thoughts. Um, Based on based on your philosophies on social media and seeing how parents are raising kids in their spotlight and um, 
I, we can get into that if you want, but I, I, I think it's such an interesting time to parent because exactly what you're saying is, you know, respecting and recognizing a, a young human as an individual. It doesn't, it's not how every parent approaches it. And as for me, it's been, it's, it can be a difficult thing to navigate in our current world where we are apt, I'm speaking for myself, I'm apt to share so much of myself, my job with podcasting and blogging, um, it's just sort of goes part, goes hand in hand with sharing sometimes my kids and I get questions sometimes as to why I don't, you know, use their names very much or I show their faces kind of here and there, but I'm very, I try to be protective of not telling their stories because they will be able to do that one day. But I know that I look probably hypocritical <laughs> because there are moments when their story interweaves with mine or, you know, something that I'm offering, like, um, you know, an interview that I'm doing might, I might bring up an example of like, I just did a personality trait of one of my children. Oh, what are your thoughts on the way that social media has blurred the lines between the parent and the child in that regard? Um, I, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. And that is something that, that I too, you know, grapple with. I think that social media has just sort of burst into the world mm-hmm. and it's still very much in, in certain ways in its infancy. We're still figuring it out as we go along, you know, with the concurrent mistakes that you make when you're figuring right. things out. Um, uh, for me, one of the things that I have done, I, I, I will show pictures, um, of my children. Um, I do not show pictures of them. Um, in any co- sort of compromising positions. I don't sure. show pictures of them upset, crying, you know, and things like that. Um, I, when I do reference them, I, I have made up nicknames for them. Right. So I don't reference them by name. Um, I will share stories of, of different, you know, issues that we've dealt with, um, unless it feels like it's a private issue, in which mm-hmm. case I won't. And you just go by um, instinct and, and gut feeling. I, I really do. And, and having six children, I can reference a story and say, you know, amongst my children yeah. and I, and I'm not <laughs> referencing a specific person. Sure. And so that, that, you know, gives me, I feel like a little leeway sure. there. Plus I have, you know, I can tell stories and, and not, mentioned that I'm talking about one of my children just because of the type of work that I do and and the many years that I've done it and the, the stories that, that I've heard and that I've shared through the years, you know, with permission from different people. But you're right, there is there are there are issues of privacy. There are issues of respecting the privacy of a child. Um and, and I think that's something that we need to be very, very aware of. Yeah, I, I do in in quiet moments really well, in quiet moments, I want to shut down my Instagram account entirely, <laughs> yeah. to be frank, sometimes. But um, no, I do think there is so much to be gained by sharing our stories and our experiences. But I do wonder sometimes, you know, had our parents, had my parents had access to telling parts of my narrative before, even now when they say things like, you were always the blank, fill in the blank one. Yes. And I'm like, but I'm not that person. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yes. I'm like, it's so frustrated. Yeah. They're only saying it to me. Um, but I do, I, it's just, um, it's, there's probably a whole separate podcast to be done on that. But I just wanted your thoughts because, um, your philosophy of like individuality and raising children as they are is just really like, you know, that's something I sort of come back to time and time again, and just trying to respect that. And I think it's a good nugget to keep in the back of our minds. Always. You know, when yeah. we look at our children, like you said, not as extensions of ourselves, but as their own people, that's just, it's a good sort of guidepost. Um, have you been noticing that there's an interest or an uptick in interest in gentle parenting? I, I've seen, of course, all over online blogs and things, people have like referencing this, it's becoming more popular point of discussion. Have people been reaching out to you more lately, curious about this way of, of, of parenting? Um, you know, it's very hard to know you know, because 
I have to always be cognizant of the fact that I'm an individual and what I see is my perception. Sure. So, you know, do does what look like what looks like possibly a, a a surge of interest you know is that simply just because my my platform has gotten larger right and so as my platform gets larger it's just the exposure and people who already were like-minded you know so it's hard to know how much of it was to, to me my honest opinion is people by and large in their own homes you know, are good people and they are by and large doing the best that they can and, you know, and, and loving their children and taking good care of their children and, and things like that. I don't think that, I think that gentle parenting kind of puts a label on something. In other words, that people are pretty much already Already doing doing, and it gives them a few more gentle tools. Mm -hmm. So in areas that they struggle with and maybe would just by default fall back onto some of the harsher parenting things, even though it didn't feel good or feel right or feel appropriate. They just didn't know what else to do. Right. So I think it's filling a gap that was already there. I think people already, you know, a, a large, I think a large maybe subpopulation of people just like, like me as a teenager, were already doing things instinctively. Um, and then when they discovered there was a community out there, they discovered that there were people that could offer them some guidance and some tools. You know, they just kind of grasped onto that. Right. Let's, let's talk specifics. You just gave a really great tip, the time in with the glitter jar. I love that. Um, specifically with regards to um, discipline, what are some other like tools in the toolkit of gentle parenting? Can, can a parent say of, let's, let's go with the age range of... Um, toddler to, you know, young child, what are some other good tactics we can have? For example, a child who is experiencing either a tantrum or having, um, you know, had a difficult day at school. What are some other like tools that you bring out from your toolkit? Uh, well, I, I think the first issue is to separate discipline from punishment. Um, I think, you know, if, if you look at the etymology, if you look at the, the beginnings of those words, you can see that they, they, ha- they, they come from separate things. You know, to punish means to inflict something on someone. And to discipline comes from disciple, which means to teach someone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one is to in, inflict, basically take retribution. Um, and the other one is to guide and to teach and to lead. And so um, when we talk about gentle discipline, we're not talking about gently punishing someone, um, what we're talking about is guidance and leadership mm-hmm. and, and teaching someone. So I think that's really an important distinction to make. Um, I wrote, and I'm probably going to get my own quote wrong because I have to look up my own quotes all the time. But <laughs> I wrote, discipline is helping a child solve a problem. Punishment is making a child suffer for having a problem. Oh, to raise problem solvers, focus on um, solutions, uh-huh. not retribution. So I think it was something along, along those lines. <laughs> that was, it's like you're a writer, Ella. So it is. It is it, 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 I, I literally you do have to look so up my own stuff because I will misquote myself. Well, can, can I give you an example and you can maybe tell me how you would handle this? Sure. Uh, we have a lot of parents of, of younger children who might um, be in bigger schools for the first time. What if a kid comes home and says, Mom, I feel like someone is bullying me. This person has made fun of me for X, Y, Z. Um, what do you, where do you start with something like that? Because I think the initial reaction for a lot of parents is they want to protect their kids from that type of pain. So where would you start with that situation? The, the first place that 
you, I, I think you should start with any situation is listening. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Fred Asking Rogers, questions. yeah, Fred Rogers said listening is where love begins. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's always the place to start with any situation, whether it's that situation or a different situation, a child having a problem with teacher or a child having a problem with, you know, any, you know, any, any situation, you know, if a child comes to you, I have a problem. Um, just listening, letting them talk it through, not kind of jumping in and peppering them with questions right at first, not, you know, trying to, you know, pull information or details out of them. Just let them talk. Um, and sometimes it's all they need is to kind of talk things through. And then as they sort of wind down, you can almost kind of feel them circling around to their own solutions to things. Mm-hmm. You know, at that point, you know, um, having built a trust relationship that, that they feel they can come to you with their problems, um, you also trust them in return. And and I think that's maybe a, a, a bridge too far for some people is the idea that you can trust your children too. Um, but when you hear them kind of circling around to a solution, instead of jumping in to propose our solutions, um, that's when we can start asking questions. You know, well, well, how how do you think, you know, you might approach that tomorrow? How do you think this could be best handled? What do you think should happen next? You know, just, just you know, sort of a list of, of questions, you know, that are not leading them to your own answers, mm-hmm. but that are opening them to to you know, con- to continue the process that they started, mm-hmm. um, and, and just helping them again, guidance, leadership, teaching, you know, and you're walking them through this problem solving steps. Now there will always be problems that our children cannot solve by themselves. And we should never hesitate to step in when needed. We just going through that process of listening, going through the process of, of asking questions and letting them, you know, process through things and, and, and helping them to learn that just sort of partners with them in in the problem solving process but then if it reaches a point where an adult needs to step in and handle Mm it um then at that point you would say you know here's what i think i would need to do in this situation what do you think about that Mm -hmm. and again it's partnering with your child asking what they think right and asking what they think getting feedback from them i think some people like you said, have a hard time trusting their kids. They're saying, what am I going to ask a, a second grader what she's going to do if she's being bullied? But I, I, I do agree with you. I think if you give them the, the moment to consider what their instinctive reaction to something like that would be, it's it's worth hearing out. So, uh, what's your thought on, on, I know you just kind of touched on this, but were you ever the type of parent to initially reach out to the teacher? I know I'm starting to see that there are parents who, when there's a problem between kids at school, will immediately go to the teacher. And then there are parents who will say what you said, which is, let's try to figure out a way for you to solve this first. Were you ever that type of parent who called the teacher right away and just kind of took it right to the top? Um, I was always... Before I started homeschooling, I was always very involved in my children's schooling. So I was on the SAC community I, uh, committee. I was working in their classrooms. I was going on field trips with them. So I was always um, already connected with teachers and things like that. Um, and so you know, I already had built relationships right. with the people that were influencing my children and, and teaching my children and having interactions with my children. Um, so I was very comfortable should it be needed. I was very comfortable reaching out to them and getting, you know, kind of their side of things, you know, if, if needed. Right. Um, and it was never an accusatory, you know, type of approach. It was always like, um, you know, my child came home and was having this issue. Um, what can you tell me about that? And again, it was questions. I mean, that really is my mode of, of communication is asking people questions and just hearing them. Is there anything that concerns you, um, about, how kids are, this is a broad, going to sound like a broad question, but how kids are acting in general these days in school or the ways that parents are interacting with their teachers. I, it only takes a quick scroll through Facebook to see that it can feel like some 
parents treat their teachers as the enemy rather than the mediator and the problem solver. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that because there's a lot of criticism of parents these days who are just, you know, helping their kids too much and they're um, targeting the teachers when in fact they should be doing what you're saying, which is going straight to the child first. So what's your whole thought on that, like, snowplow parent thing? (laughs) Well, I think we always have to remember that, you know, what we see on social media tends to be like worst case scenario. Right. You know, people like you go on review sites for products and things like that. Generally, it's going to be people complaining. Right. Because people who like things are going to go on with their lives. They got what they like. They got what they want. They're going to use it. They're going to move on. They they don't really have the motivation. I think the same thing applies. And I think we have to really always keep that in mind. I think by and large, teachers are amazing. I think by and large, schools are amazing. And I think by and large, students do well in school. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I do think that, that, there is definitely some some growth and some leadership needed in public schools. Um, they we need to move beyond the the um, the 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 boxes that we've put teachers in, where they have to teach to tests and right. where they have to you know. I think that that really blockades some of the um, the teacher student relationship that needs to be built. Mm-hmm. So I think that we can learn from other like from Denmark and and, and other places. I, th- I think we can learn some new educational approaches, and I, I and I hope that that's something that that we grow and evolve as yes. as a nation towards. Um, I I don't I don't feel, and this is from my own experience and my own um, not just my own personal experience, but from you know the masses of parents that I've interacted with. Um, I don't feel like helicopter parenting slash snowplow parenting. I don't feel like that is as huge of a problem. I think it's more of a joke. Right. It's, it's a good for memes. Right. Um, I, I, there are definitely parents like that out there, just as there are also the opposite end of the spectrum, very neglectful parents, just as there are, you know, there are abusive parents and things. But I think most of us fall in that middle range mm-hmm. of just your your normal average American family, just doing the best that they can. Um, when their child has a problem, you know, they – may go straight to the teacher, but generally I think that they would approach the teacher with respect, you know, in, in general. Yeah. So I, I just, I don't feel like it's a huge societal problem. I, I don't. I, yes. Teachers do need to be paid a lot more. Though. Teachers, we can abs- agree my on My mother that, right? was a teacher. Yes. So was my dad I, for yes, 30 years and a coach. Absolutely need to be paid a lot more. I think the, <laughs> I think the need for, um, summer, uh, having summers off was initially in- instituted because of children needing to help work in the fields and farms. We don't have that anymore. I think that we can really utilize teachers year-round um, doing tutoring and, and you know offering extracurricular things and helping children that are maybe have fallen behind to catch up. Mm-hmm. I think we can do a lot better as a society with with the way we're investing our money and investing right. in our future and investing in, in children and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I feel you there. Um, okay, I want to talk about sleep. Infant sleep is something that tons of new parents especially really focus on and fixate on because when you get this sleeping torture device handed to you in the hospital, your baby, who just is going to deprive you of a lot of energy over the next couple of years, it can be really difficult. People get desperate for solutions. Um, What is your thought on sleep training or encouraging sleep patterns in babies? And does, is there um, an official sort of gentle parenting philosophy that addresses that issue in particular? Yeah, I think that there is a vast difference between sleep training and encouraging sleep patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, because sleep training, you're imposing, again, something right. on another individual. Um, encouraging sleep patterns, you're learning the individual. For the life of me, I just wrote a forward for a book that is so good. And I, it's just... Her name has escaped me for the second. Email me it and I'll put it in the Oh, please do I'll because put it in the show I, I would love you to. I just wrote a forward. Uh, it's gone. It's That's just okay. it's not in my head. We'll get it. Uh, <laughs> there's a series of books um, 
and she what she does is she puts in there a log for parents to keep so they are they learn their the other kids, individual, kids patterns. the person that they're co-humaning with, they learn their child's patterns, um, and they also learn their own patterns. So they can see where they may be contributing to sleep issues. Maybe they're like having screen time before bed. Maybe they are, um, you know, dad's wrestling wrestling right before bed with a child. Maybe, um, you know, that last snack has some sugar in it mm-hmm. of the day. You know, different things like that. So the the idea um, is to spend a couple of weeks literally just writing down what you're doing, writing down when the child's falling asleep, when the child's waking up and things like that. A lot of times parents are just so tired that they think there's a sleep problem, but when they, when they write it all down, they're like, wow, my child's actually getting enough sleep. It's just, I'm so tired. Yes. You know, because I've been stressing myself out and, and worried about, you know, things that I'm the one not getting sleep. And that mm-hmm. happens so often. The child actually is getting plenty of sleep. Right. The parent is just sleep deprived. I've noticed too, I want to get your thoughts on this. Have the, the sleep patterns that you saw in your kids as infants, did they sort of continue as they got older? Because I'm I, I'm probably wording this incorrectly, but like my son, for example, ha- will always be just a long to go to sleep kind of person. And I don't think I knew that when he was a newborn. He was my first baby. But he's going to be seven and he still needs wind down time. But I wish someone would have told me, maybe you just have a human yes. who takes a long an time. Individual. To, an individual. Yes. You know, whereas my other daughter immediately... So, uh, are you seeing as your kids are growing up that um, things that you've noticed in their infancy, whether it be sleep patterns or personality things, do they just kind of, that's just who they are? I Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I have children that I, uh, I breastfed um, most of my children. Um, uh, one of them I breastfed briefly, but she apparently had an allergy to breast milk, which, oh, wow. you know, I, I, apparently some people say that's not possible, but this child was sick. Right. And I've then, heard that before. And then when I put her on formula on an emergency basis, I had surgery and she had to be on formula and literally she slept for 12 hours after the formula and then never had an, the eczema was gone. The constant yeast infections, she was in, you know, she was a newborn, she was six weeks old, oh. but she had like a little, I mean, she had just rashes everywhere. And then when she was off the breast milk, she didn't. So it was just, I don't know. I, I have no idea what it was, but, but the doctor at the time said it was an right. allergy to my breast milk and she certainly did she flourished a positive reaction afterwards. Yeah. So I don't know about that. Anyway, what were we talking about? <laughs> I'm sorry. Sleeping. Just, we were talking so, about sleeping. Okay, and, and then the patterns. Yeah. Okay. So I pretty much most of my children, I breastfed, fed for the most part, I, I would nurse them to sleep. And even with doing the same thing, nursing to sleep with each child, some would follow, you know, nurse for 10, 15 minutes. They were asleep, sleep solidly eight straight hours almost from the get-go. Um, others just would take forever, forever, mm-hmm. forever, forever yeah. to go to sleep. And every time you take them off the breast, they would wake up and, Pop right you know, it's just, yep. and then multiple wakings at night. And, you know, and you know, for me, some of the things that I discovered were health issues. And if I had been a, you know, feed them, put them in a room and leave them, you know, I wouldn't have known. Um, my youngest daughter had severe reflux uh, it's a very severe reflux. Um, I didn't know what was wrong with her. I just knew we were having feeding problems. I took her to the doctor, and her throat was completely covered with blisters, oh, but, like, no. down inside, and I didn't even know it. Like, it was raw from blisters. Oh, so she had to be, like, medicated, like, right. very, very early. Um, and then I had, you know, other children who had um, 
central apnea and were stopping breathing and turning blue in the middle of the How night. Did you and, find, that is um, insane. How did you find that out? By seeing a child turn blue in front of my face. Oh I my just, gosh. you know, and things like that. And then this one sitting over here watching us today, she was three pounds, 13 ounces when I brought her home from the hospital. Oh my gosh. Yes. How, she was, how she, early was she born? She was how born uh, just, she, just after 37 weeks. Oh and um, she was in the, she was in the NICU for two weeks. And, but I was like there all day, every day. And after two weeks, she was so tiny. I was, I had no expectation of bringing her home. And, um, but we were having insurance issues and I got, I showed up and they're like, okay, you can take her home today. And I was like, so I just took her straight. Like a cabbage patch. Doll. It was terrifying. Oh you couldn't actually gosh. hold her at that point, like in a blanket. They had a like a little like foam thing that you oh put her inside gosh. of, and then you put the blanket around that because she was like too fragile. Oh my gosh! It was terrifying. Um, but all of that said, you know, I learned early on that you know sometimes even health issues, you know. But again, it's getting to know the human. It's getting right. to know the person. It's just paying attention. Does gentle parenting have an official stand? I know I'm, I'm sort of treating you like a, like the expert on, but I guess what I'm asking you is your opinion through the eyes of gentle parenting on co-sleeping, because you start to notice that people who are believers in this, in this, in gentle parenting tend to do a lot of the same things, breastfeeding, co-sleeping. So what are your thoughts and your experiences with that? And does it as a philosophy take like an official stance on that in particular? The um, I, I feel like, and, and, I, and I've written about this, I don't think that there's a list of do's and don'ts other than don't hurt your children. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that there's a list of do's and don'ts. I, don't, I, I think that people that are attachment parents can be breastfeeding parents or not, parent, not breastfeeding parents. Uh, I'm going to use attachment parenting here because attachment parenting tends to carry like a list of do's and don'ts more than right. gentle parenting That's does. true. That's true. When um, you look that up online, you tend to see, see this trends list of things of, that people you know, do. Yes. Check these things off. And if you do these, you're an attachment parent. You know? right. I don't think that breastfeeding or not breastfeeding, co-sleeping or not co-sleeping, um, baby wearing or not baby wearing. Right. I don't think any of those, you know, working outside the home or working inside, I don't think any of those things establish whether you're an attachment parent or a gentle parent or anything. I think how you treat the other human in your life is what establishes you as a gentle parent. Yes. And, and building a trust relationship is what establishes you. So it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a list of practices that you follow and don't follow. I have six children. Um, like I said, you know, some breastfed, some not breastfed. Um, some co-slept, some didn't co-sleep. You know, it really was up to what we needed as a family and they needed as an individual. And, and, you know, that, that, that the choices were made together mm-hmm. based on their needs, based on the family's needs, based on my needs. So is there anything you would go back and do differently with any of the kids? Um, well, you know, obviously it's, it's a growth, been a growth process for me sure. as well. And I started out, you know, as a teenager, um, I started out at the very, very beginning using kind of a form of timeout. Um, it, it was, it was, I, I called it silence. I was like, okay, everybody's on silence for two minutes. I do that. All you the time. Know. <laughs> now, <laughs> in fact, you know what I say? This is going to sound horrible. You're going to judge me. <laughs> Don't talk. Don't Nobody talk. talk for the next five minutes. Okay. Kids yeah. are all like, what? <laughs> I've never said that. Have I? <laughs> no, I, I, we're, we're humans I mean, too. We oh, have needs too. And that oh is God. okay. It is okay. And I think it's important for our children to see us being human. Yes. I mean, how will our children know that it's okay to be human yes. if we don't act like we're human? Yes. So that is, that is okay. But, I, but using it as a form of punishment, right. you know, that's, that's which I didn't kind of realize what I was doing. It was a brief period of basically the first two children, you know, that right. I had. Um, and I just, like I said, okay, everyone's on silence for two minutes. You know, it was just to get my head together for a few right. seconds. What I didn't realize was I was the one that needed a timeout. Right. I needed to be the one to step away and get my head together and, and have my own silence. I didn't need to make them accommodate me. 
I needed to be the adult in the situation. I'm the only adult in the relationship. I needed to accommodate myself. Oh, so that was so wise. It's yes. <laughs> it's so funny. I just had um, I had a little bit of a you know raise my voice moment last week, and my daughter because I I do tend to practice. I just apologize to my when I'm a jerk. I apologize just for the same reasons you said. And so I had this moment. I was like, oh my gosh. And she was like, I said, I'm really sorry. I'm the adult in the situation and I should not have raised my voice. So every time now that I like show an inkling of my, you know, my decibel level rising, she's like, you're the adult here. (laughs) And so I'm like, oh my gosh. No, that's good. That's actually very empowering to children to know that they can also call us on things. You know, that's a good thing. You know, and I, I actually will give my children like, say, okay, it's not okay for you to say to me, you know, you need to take it down a few levels. Yeah. I won't also say that to my children because I think that's rude. Right. It's not the right but way to say it. in the right. way that I will say to you, can we make it a little quieter now? Yeah. You can say to me, mom, can we be a little quieter? Yeah. That is, you know, it is okay mm-hmm. for you to, you know, to, to <laughs> call me as well, to, ch- to check me as oh well. Oh my gosh. Isn't yeah. motherhood the most humbling thing? It's, it's stretching. It's humbling. It's uncomfortable. It's beautiful. It's terrifying. It's everything. Oh yeah. It really is. It I is. mean, were you, now that you look back on, on you know, like I said, you still have a lot of raising of your youngest to do here. But like, do you, do you feel grateful that we're more connected now and we're having these conversations? Because I feel like this is like a sort of a relatively new phenomenon where we're talking all about postpartum issues and, and how we raise our kids and whatever. Are are you grateful that we're all kind of like letting it out now? I think it's one of the situations is, uh, there's nothing new under the sun, right? This isn't new. This is going back to the old, Yes, you know, where, 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 villages worked together to raise children where, you know, people would live together, you know, they, they would live with their parents and with their grandparents and, you know, and, and so there, there was constant extra arms to help hold children. There was constant, you know, maybe not always, you know, wanted input into what should or should not be done in different situations. You know, I, I think we kind of lost our tribe. We kind of lost, you know, our village, mm-hmm. you know, our, our, our shared wisdom. Mm-hmm. So um, what I like about social media is the fact that we can go back to those roots. We can go back to those places where we're sharing our wisdom. What's nice about social media is we can also turn it off. Right. You know, we actually have the ability when we don't agree with something just to scroll past it. Yep. It's an amazing thing, not used enough, but it's really a good it's thing. True. If you don't agree, that's okay. We cannot agree. Right. You don't have to lambast me. You don't have to announce to me that you're quitting my page. You know, I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, I would rather you stay. I would rather have the conversation with you. You know, I, you know I'm perfectly fine with people disagreeing with me. I truly, truly am. Right. As long as it's done civilly, you know, and we can even like hang out together and continue to not agree with each other. Maybe we'll agree on something else. You know, all of that is okay. Let's have the conversations, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like in certain ways, social media has opened us up to have hard conversations, but in other ways, it's just opened up uh, just a place where people feel safe behind their screens to abuse other people and, and, and you know, be hateful sometimes. So that's that's a difficult part of things to deal with. Yeah, it is. And you are in a space where people have strong opinions. It turns out people have really strong thoughts on motherhood and how yes. people should be, air quotes, doing yes. things and um, – I give you credit for responding diplomatically. The block button is also your friend, by the way. (laughs) I have, I have used that a couple of times. Um, Any poignant um, message or feedback that you've gotten from someone in your online community or, you know, in any actual interaction that really sticks out over the years of your writing? Yeah, probably my, my favorite, uh, my favorite story is um, a young mom from South Africa um, who contacted me privately um, a number of years ago. And she was really struggling. She had left an abusive marriage. 
um, and she had two children, and she had married a wonderful man and had you know a couple more children, and she was really struggling because her she had parented her older children. She was in this abusive marriage and in this very kind of hierarchical, patriarchal church and where they instructed them certain ways to discipline, you know, harshly their children. And she said, it always killed me to have to spank them and things like that. But I did what I was told God wanted me to do. God demanded that I do, commanded that I do. Um, and now I, I have these two children with my new marriage and I cannot bring myself to do it. And my new husband doesn't want me to do it, but my older two children are upset with me. You know, there's a, there was a pretty good age range between them. They're upset and they feel like, you know, they, that I love my smaller children more because I'm not parenting. And they also feel like my smaller children are totally out of control because I just don't know what to do in lieu of that. Right. And so she contacted me. And so we had a several months sort of back and forth, um, emailing back and forth as I sort of, I, I wanted to help her kind of walk through some of her her traumas from the abusive marriage and some of the, and, and, and the really abusive church situation she was in. I want to help her kind of work through that in her mind because she was really carrying that baggage with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, at the same time, I was trying to give her some tools for, you know, coping with her younger children and also just encouraging her to have the conversation with her older children, you know, right. oh, you know, I'm, I'm an imperfect person. I'm growing and I'm learning. I've learned new things and I made mistakes and to apologize to them. You know, and, and she was shocked to find that you could apologize to children like we just talked about. So over a few month period, we, we went through this. And then one day she sent me a letter that her oldest child had given her permission to send to me. He was 16 at the time. And in it, he talked about how upset and angry and hurt he had been at her different parenting style with the younger one. But that when she talked to him and she told him um, that she had made mistakes and that she was sorry and that she was trying to do things better and that she needed his help to do that, that he learned something that he'd never realized before and that he himself was planning on being a gentle parent when he grew up and that it had helped his relationship with his younger siblings to the tools to be able to interact with them, you know, that, that we had talked to and things like that. She now these, all these years later is a leader of a gentle parenting community in South Africa. She has a a blog. She has a podcast. She has, um, a, a newsletter. She writes for the local newspapers and magazines. And she just, to me, is just like, that to me is the legacy I want to leave. Yes. I want to have touched people's lives and created sort of this, you know, it doesn't have to be my words and it doesn't have to even be my philosophies. Mm-hmm. It just, just that central idea of treating children as humans and growing them humanely, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just to see that sort of that, that little ripple going out and, you know, changing That's this person amazing. and then blossoming in South Africa, you know, not that she's the only one, you know, there's a community sure. there, but, um, it just, that's my favorite story. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. And I do, I don't think it's an understatement to say that, uh, you know, several generations in a row of good parenting can change the world. I mean, it, it takes, it'll take a lot of work at this point, frankly, but I, I you know, this, I mean, our most impactful relationships are family of origin relationships, you know, our parents and our siblings. And, you know, hearing that story is just a great example that when one person says, well, what can I really do to make the world a better place? I mean, I'm not a policymaker and I'm not a politician. You can be a good parent. And it that's the most basic, but the hardest job of all. And I, that's what I love about 
this type, and I, I'm always hesitant to say type of parenting because it sounds like we're classifying things, but it's just humanism at the end of the day. But you do have to feel good being associated with um, something that is encouraging people to be better people. At the Absolutely. End of the day. Yeah. I'm not I, the people who don't do gentle yes. parenting. I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> Are good people, but you know, I'm right. just saying um, you're encouraging dialogue. You're encouraging us yes. to, and, and those lessons, frankly, could be used by adults these days too. Very more much listening so. and more yeah. asking of questions. It's funny because often when I do share different quotes for different meanings and things like that, people say, well, this applies to adults too. And my, my inner reaction is always, well, yes, I know. I'm, I'm taking what's sort of a given for adults that, we don't always follow through on, but it's kind of a given that you're not going to go into a workplace. And when you don't like what a coworker does, you know, you tell your coworker, um, you know, go get this out of the copy and they don't do it. You're not going to slap them. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's a given, you yeah, know, yeah, so with funny. adult relationships, yeah. you know, what is not a given is that we should, we should extrapolate from that and, and treat children with as much actually, in my opinion, more respect mm-hmm. than we treat adults. What do you say to people who are critical of this style of parenting because they say that it um, sort of diminishes the hierarchy. It takes away the authority of the parent. I would say that the hierarchy needs to be diminished. I, that, that's that's my, my absolute reaction. Um, we, as, you know, as a society, have a lot of structural things that need to change. Um, there is, there is, you know, there are, there are pipelines into upper management. There are pipelines through certain, you know, high level schools and, and families. Um, I just read a study yesterday where more than 70% of, of upper level jobs are filled without the job ever having been posted. They're filled in house through who knows who. Right. Okay. What that does is mean that for 70% of the time, nobody else has an opportunity Mm -hmm. to enter that level of management, which is, you know, where you get those glass ceilings, which is where you get the structural racism, where, you know, that's what holds those structures in place. You know, that begins in the home. Mm-hmm. When we have these instant obedience, you know, do as I say, not as I do, you know, do do what I say without asking me questions or thoughtfully considering my words or even considering what I'm saying is right or wrong, you know, or bringing your opinion into it at all. When, when we grow children in those very authoritarian, you know, um, atmospheres, you know, they're not going to recognize those authoritarian structures then when they get into the workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're literally grooming them just to be consumers. We're grooming them just to be followers and just to become a cog in a machine as opposed to recognize where the machine might need to be tweaked or dismantled entirely and, and restructured in a way that offers opportunity and advancement for everyone that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that has – the, the desire to do so, the talent to do so, the education to do so, you know, and, and things like that. So um, I think that my answer is we need to stop with the hierarchy ideas in our homes. We need to stop with the, you know, I'm the ultimate authority in our homes. And we need to stop, we need to start working from a place of we need to be partners in our homes. I want to ask you too about something you're personally dealing with right now. Anyone who follows you on social media knows that you are currently battling cancer and that you are a you are incredibly brave to be going through what you're going through and still putting all this goodness out into the world. First things first, how are you? How is treatment and how's that all going? Um, always a loaded question. <laughs> uh, I am not under treatment right now. My uh, insurance has done that thing that they like to do to uh, 
improve their stock outlook and they end of the year, beginning of the year, they start denying things. They start denying tests, they start denying treatment, they start denying things because um, if they can, you know, anything that they, and they do it like on a large scale so that anything that they can, you know, not pay for that period, you know, it, it bumps their stock outlook and then they their stocks sell better and they can, you know, make extra money. So I am not actually being treated right now because we've been fighting back and forth and every time my oncologist, you know, connects with them and does the peer-to-peer and everything like that, they're like, okay, okay, well, we've got it in the pipeline. Okay, well, we're working on it. And then they'll say, we need clarification, but they won't say what clarification they need. So it has been, um, it's been since the end of November. And where did the cancer start? How did you, how long have you been battling this? Um, I was diagnosed September 5, 2014. Wow. the estimates were at the time based on the size of the initial tumor they found that I had based on the growth rate of the tumor um, the estimates were that I had had the cancer for 12 to 15 years at that point. In um, what part of your body did they guess that the it started? Init- in? They don't know for sure okay. where it started. The initial tumor that was, they removed the bottom half of my um, right lung. Um, there was a tumor in there uh, but we know that the cancer cells have sort of pervaded my pancreas um, and my liver and, you know, and, and they don't know where really right. it, because um, neuroendocrine cancer is, it's an embryonic, um, basically stem cell cancer. And so all of the cells can morph into the surrounding tissue. So until and if they decide to gather themselves into a tumor, they just sort of like just widespread, it's almost like, like sand on a beach like sort of spread everywhere and it's invisible on scans and things like that. Um, but it crashes my blood sugar randomly out of the blue. Um, it shuts down my airways. I have sometimes it's called idiopathic anaphylaxis where just all of a sudden, you know, I I can't breathe. Um, it will drop my blood pressure way down to where I will pass out if I don't lay down immediately. I've passed out a few times. Um, it, uh, when I eat, um, it, the, just, because it's neuroendocrine, the endocrine system controls, it regulates your whole body. It regulates your heat. It regulates your, you know, cooling down. It regulates your heart rate. My heart rate will plummet or it will speed up. My heart will flutter or it will, you know, palpitations, it just things like that. When I eat, just that normal release of hormones, digestive hormones will cause very often um, an endocrine storm, which will just just wreak havoc, and I will spend the next seven hours sick just because I had a potato. Um, it doesn't always happen, but sometimes it happens, and and you know, and, and you just don't know when it's going to happen, which makes it obviously very difficult to plan certain things. Sure. So I generally, like right now, I haven't eaten today. I don't eat. I don't eat until I'm done doing what the things that I need to do. How are you able to be so positive and normal through this? Uh, it's it's insane. Well, because this is my reality. Right. You know, I think the same thing could be said to, you know, people like in refugee camps and things like that. You know, how are the children still playing? How are the mothers still making dinner? How are they? You, know, you do what you have to do. You you know, this is your life. This is the cards you've been dealt. You know, you, you can hold yourself up in a bedroom somewhere and just sort of wait for death to take you. Or you can just go out and continue living and just cope with it the best that you can. So that's what I do. And, and. You've had difficult discussions, I'm sure, with your kids, and this is, I'm sure, a topic that's always top of mind. Is it something where, I mean, you literally are taking, I know your treatment sort of a month at a time or when insurance is cooperating, one treatment at a time. Um, How do you deal with that with kids? Because that's um, a difficult thing to talk about. It is. It's it's a day-to-day 
anything. It's an open conversation. Um, I involve them as much as I can. I let them come with me to get my chemo at the hospital. Um, they know all the nurses. The nurses know them. They have art therapists there that will do paintings with them and mm-hmm. origami and, and different things like that. Um, so I, I let them be a part of it as much as they're comfortable being a part of it. Um, when I'm sick, which is very, very often, um, my littlest will bring me, you know, random bottles of pills that she, (laughs) she'll she'll go climb on my bathroom, sorry, she'll go climb on my bathroom counter and she'll, she'll, you know, just start bringing me bottles of, is this what you need, mommy? Is this what you need? Unless one of the older ones is available, in which case she will just go get an older one. Um, You know, and and my daughter here, she, you know, will come in and she'll sit with me and, Mm. you know, get me new clothes and towels so I can take a shower and she'll get the shower on and heating up for me and, and different things like that, you know, and get, I can't drink water. Um, I have to put lemon in it. The it changes the pH balance of the water. It, water will automatically come up if I try to drink it. So that's just not. Wow. I, I literally can't drink water, so which is awful. And I'm chronically dehydrated. So, um, so you know they'll go and they'll get get you know my, my mm-hmm. little soul bring me a lemon, right? <laughs> which is Aww. which is a challenge. But um, I also you know end up with a lot of children sleeping in my room because sure. they want to be around. They want to be around oh, me. For you know sure. I. I'm a very private person. I would kind of prefer just to kind of go and like, like a cat, you know, go off and handle things myself, but they, they want to be there for me and I need to let them be there. So I have to kind of get out my side of my comfort zone with that and allow them, you know, to be a part of things. Cause I, even though it's scary, it's more comfortable than not to just to imagine, right. you know, what's going on. They can see, yes, I get sick, but I recover, you know, and they can see that and they, and they see the, you know, me getting chemo, they see me again, then they see me recover, you know, so it's not this big mystery to right. them. It's, it's, just like what you were saying about parenting, explaining emotions, walking through difficult situations, just shining a light on it, helping them to understand. It's just, I'm sure has, has been, has been helpful. I know you're really open about it too on Facebook and social media. And, um, you know, I just give you credit and we are rooting and praying for you. And and I just told you this when the mic was off, I have been recognized as one of your top fans on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) So I promise I'm not a stalker. Um, But yeah, I just, um, it took me a while to kind of put together, but I, like I said, I have been reading your quotes, which were lifted and usually credit is given. But um, when I finally put two and two together and realized that you were the woman behind all these amazing things that I was reading and realized that you lived here. I was like, I have to just, I got to get you in the studio. Um, I do want to, before I let you go, get um, a few resources or things that have been inspirational to you that have informed your work, maybe outside of um, anything that you've directly put out there, any favorite authors or even movies or things that have moved you in a way that you think would be good for our audience to check out. Um, well, it, obviously Dr. William Sears, um, and we were talking about Raised Good, which is another... Raised Good. Tracy from Raised Good is one of my, my favorites to follow. She's amazing. You guys are um, awesome. On Instagram, Gentle Parenting Memes. Um, I, I, just people that, you know, moms are busy. Those quick takes, those those quotes. You know, she's great, you know, for sharing things like that. Um, the... Um, I'm, I'm just going to... I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to sit here and draw a blank, but... Um, what about anything that you've written? What's your favorite quote that's been reshared or book or portion of anything you've done? Um, my favorite quote, um, probably my most well-known quote would probably also be my favorite. Um, it's not our job to toughen our children up to face a cruel and heartless world. It's our job to raise children who will make the world a little less cruel and heartless. 
Um, that's so kind good. of my guiding mantra yes. is to grow children. It, p- people sometimes say, isn't it both? Shouldn't we toughen them up? And I, I think it's a different in semantics. I mean, to me, you know, my understanding of the word tough is to be hardened, and I don't want to harden my children. Um, I want to strengthen my children. So what I'm trying to do in my relationship with my children is strengthen them. I, you know, I share what's going on in the world with them in age-appropriate ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I go to protests. I go to, you know, marches I, and, and things like that, and I allow them to come with me should they choose. Um, and I always educate them beforehand about what the issue is that, that you know, that we're watching about um, because this is their world. Mm-hmm. They are the future world leaders. They're the future world citizens. You know, we're growing them in our homes, and so we need to prepare them to, to be a part of the world, you know, not to hide from the world, not to be toughened against the world, but and, – and also just not to just be a part of it, but to be a positive part of the world mm-hmm. and to make positive changes in the world. And so that, that's why that's probably my favorite. And any projects you're working on that we can keep an eye out for? Anything Absolutely, upcoming? yes. Actually, I have a, a phone call with an agent um, day after tomorrow uh, for my memoir, um, Inhumanity, Letters from the Trenches, which is it's, – it's raw. It is not a parenting book. It is not an easy read. I go into – the sexual abuse as a child. I go into um, homelessness. I go into having an alcoholic father. I go into, I I go into all of that. Um, I use each of those, each chapter. I use a vignette from my childhood as a jump off place to talk about the social issues of our time that we're dealing with. So it's sort of a mix of a memoir and a treatise on the world as it is and as it could be, mm-hmm. and just trying to open the conversation. I know I'm always trying to open up conversations love it. On, on things like racism and sexism and, and homophobia and xenophobia and ableism and ageism and, um, and all those different kinds of things. I mean, if there's, a, if there's a sensitive subject out there, I pretty much tackle it in that book. Oh, um, and then I'm writing a series. Um, uh, it's, it's a collection, L.R. Knows collection. Um, it's called um, My Life in Words. And it's a collection of poetry, my poetry, and if you follow me on Instagram, you know I'm, yes. I'm always sharing my poetry because I, I consider myself to be a poet before a writer. Mm-hmm. You know, poetry is sort of my my native language. Um, so it's a collection of my poetry, my quotes, my thoughts, and things like that. It's it's actually a six book series. Um, uh, it's 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 my life of words, thoughts on the evolution of a woman. And, and each of the six books sort of uh, focuses on a different area, mm-hmm. you know, uh, some on my, my, you know, humanitarian work, some on children, um, some on my childhood, some on healing, mm-hmm. um, and, and so each of those books. And then I'm also putting together um, Parenting Through Cancer, a mother's journaled journey where I'm taking all that I've shared and all that I've written privately about my, my journey from pre-diagnosis mm-hmm. to current um, and just my journey and my, the parenting through the journey. So Right. Well, your words are incredible. I cannot wait to read any and all of that. And um, thank you again for coming in. Tell us what I should ask this too, because this is where we are, where to follow you on social media, all your handle names and where to find you on Facebook. Uh, Facebook, it's LR Nost, Little Hearts, Gentle Parenting mm-hmm. Resources. I actually have, I also have Holistic Parenting Magazine. Yes. Um, and I have just LR Nost, which I got LR Nost just because I wanted nobody else to be able to get my name. But, and so I don't really, I'm not very much on that one, right? Much, unfortunately, but Instagram, um, you're pretty active. Instagram, on. I'm very active, and it's just LR Nost. Uh, Twitter, I'm active on. It's just LR Nost. Um, on Pinterest, just LR Nost. 
So awesome. Thank you again for coming, and I so appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of We Gotta Talk. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and follow along on Instagram at Sunny Abatta, S-O-N-N-I-A-B-A-T-T-A. All of the latest blog posts are at wegotatalk.com slash blog. Hey.